Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Untitled Banter podcast. Uh, my name is Julian Gill, and I'm joined by Scott Tailford for what may possibly be the last episode of Us Together, where we answer your questions, gaming, movie, food, or otherwise related. Um, so, yeah, let's just address the elephant in the room, Scott, shall we? I can't believe you're actually doing this. Uh, we got the mugs, baby! <laughs> We got the mugs, baby! How long did it take most of this year? Um, We thought we'd do a whole third act as the hero dead. No, they're stronger than ever style reveal. Um, Because, yes, we finally have the mugs. They're available. There's a white version. There's a lovely uh, What Culture Gaming blue version. There's even a What Culture Wrestling red version slash What Culture main version. Yeah. Everything available. I love it. The thing is, is that I had to kayfabe it. I had to try and, like, make the audience realize what they were missing out every week with the mugs not being there. But finally, we can. so sorry. I want to massively shout out everybody who got in touch. We had a huge response, obviously, because it felt like we were leaving this <laughs> earth. But still, huge response, massive love, and massive love to everyone who sent their questions in. And also people saying, is the because a few people got the joke, a few people said, oh, have the mugs finally arrived. A few other people yeah. saying, have you guys finally got a title? Which made me think Never. of the title... The Title Banter Podcast. If we ever do a spin-off wrestling show, we'll yeah. call it the Title Banter Podcast. But yeah, overall, the UBP, the UBP, the UBP, UBP is only stronger than ever. And we take on your questions, your talking points, whatever you'd like us to get to across the industry. First question from DMB Does Gaming, who says, What has been your favorite console generation? Not the best, but favorite and why? Ah, oh, man, that's so tough to answer because you mm. always think like that it's going to be the first one that you played as a kid like for me it'd be like mm. the SNES era but then mm. you think about how brilliant the PlayStation 1 was because of how much fun times you had growing up with it and then mm. adding in things like your friends obviously coming over to play the PlayStation 2 when you felt like you had autonomy over your games because you're mm. like a teenager so you're choosing PS2's to buy mine. your own games rather than like uh, like get them just like Christmas or birthdays and stuff like that mm. but then you've got like the brand new era of gaming now even with PCs and the flexibility and the customization that you can do to nearly every single title mm-hmm. it's a genuinely hard one to pose <laughs> but you'd say the playlistation too for you I was when, I, when i read that question my gut or my some some my soul said my playlistation too i feel like that was just such a great point for the industry where you had you know the triple a versions of games the top the upper echelon of games were still very much affordable on the production side so mm, it's so mm. many ideas will be in green layer um, and i feel like overall it was just such a burst of you know inventive game mechanics genres like things that we hadn't seen before cinematic flair even things like metal gear solid 2 still hold up so well today 
in terms yep, of their cutscene direction. Even their rendering, like they still look great. And so um, I've seen a lot of games kind of going back to that now in terms of, you know, um, even I was playing through, um, I am playing through Lost Judgment and the way that um, Ryo Gakakudu's studio do a lot of their cutscene direction is just mm-hmm. lots of text, simplistic yep. sort of animation, unless they're doing a proper cutscene. And I feel like that's almost like a lesson that we forgot from the PS2. So I feel like overall it's the PS2 seconded by maybe the 360 and then I guess like the Mega Drive or something. Yeah, I will agree that I think that when you add in the online component as well, like mm. like you remember where you were when Halo 2 went live for exactly. the first time. Like, like that was a, I cannot stress to people who are young, <laughs> too young to remember this, but this was like a monumental shift in gaming. I know that online gaming was still a thing for PC around that time. Mm. It had been there for ages, but for console games to actually experience something that good for the first time re- really was groundbreaking. Oh man, so, Xbox Live, like yeah, game changing, medium changing. So I would say Heart of Hearts, because of the connectivity between me and my fellow player, because of all of the good times that we've had there, I'm going to go for that era of the original Xbox. So it will be about Ooh. the same thing as your PlayStation mm. 2. Mm-hmm. But if I had to choose a different one to you, because it is effectively mm-hmm. the same era, I'd go mm-hmm. one before for the PlayStation 1 just because of all the the memories that hard-coded what gaming is into me, like mm. the likes of Final Fantasy VI, VII, Vagrant Story. Like, my love for RPGs was, like boiled in like it was created in the forge in that point there but um <laughs> plus i mean that was metal gear solid one which yeah. i will always remember mm-hmm. as just seeing screenshots of it and not believing that i was going to be able to control it and then like those initial trailers and then like begging my mum to drive me to a shopping center so i could get it yeah that 1997 was final fantasy 7 metal gear solid you also had yeah. symphony of the night a year later like that was such a time like that that whole thing of like expanding what gaming can be i love any generation that encapsulates that and hopefully we're getting there with this gen but we haven't got there just yet it it was mad as well because the sheer amount of games that was coming out for around mm. the PlayStation 1 at that time, you always had, uh, like, the month was bookended by a huge blockbuster release of some point. Mm. And then in between, there was dribs and drabs of, like, crazy underrated titles. Like, I remember picking up Parasite Eve just because right. I was like, what is this game? Like, But mm. I did it because I had, like, uh, saved up some pocket money and there was just, I just wanted to go buy a game. But mm-hmm. you look through the, like, PlayStation 1 library of how many different games there are, so many different genres, and you've just got, like, like, there's a game for every occasion and not yeah. many consoles could say that at the time but they were constantly kicking out titles every single month yeah look, that's what I mean about like, the production the scale mm-hmm. side of it the, the, mm-hmm. the money side of it because even from the 8th gen like PS4 and Xbox One and where we are now like it's hard to get that level of like you know d- d- tightness to a release calendar anymore like and mo- most ideas aren't being greenlit by the upper echelons of development anymore because they're too costly it's too much of a risk or that's not proven or whatever and it's just I miss when you could just make a bunch of games yeah. left right and centre do you remember the sort of exhilaration of going into your local games shop and finding that mm. one of your favorite titles that you hadn't yet bought because it was maybe just a little bit too expensive and mm. hit the platinum range so it was yeah. 20 quid 20 mm. quid for like <laughs> final fantasy 7 for gran turismo for uh, crash bandicoot one or two like there was so many good games that ended up on that range mm-hmm. and i wish that they did that more now i wish Same. they rewarded people I- I used to do a lot more as well was um, like buy a game for full price and I, this is obviously the reason why a lot of brick and mortar stores just went out of business but one yeah. of the things that you used to be able to do back in the day was <laughs> buy a game for full price keep a hold of the receipt and it was like a two week period that you oh, could yeah. return it <laughs> you just for full price yeah. and then you, I, would, I would beat a game and I would take it back with the receipt <laughs> and exchange it for something else and they were happy for you to do it because it was just a policy thing and they were all yeah. gamers so it was like whatever and you could do that twice more so I used to get three Mad. games out of one receipt and, and beat them all like because you had two weeks to get through it and you're only in school 
puzzles so you have infinite time to yeah. go through stuff and so yeah like that doesn't happen anymore that, but, that, um, that's a bad business model there's no wonder <laughs> that they went out of business <laughs> yeah one for three yeah. um but yeah next question from honest npc who says are ea showing hope of a comeback with wild hearts need for speed unbound and the iron man game is there hope for ea now i don't know if you've seen the unbound trailer but mm, mm, i was mm. blown away by that yeah I, I thought that looked incredible i mean i'm a huge automodelista fan huge old school arcade racing fan and for me i know that the reaction to it's been quite divisive but um i loved it i was like this is such a shot in the arm for racing games and just arcade style racing and just just visuals the idea of applying like spider versus art style to a racing yeah. game like i'm loving that we've actually been missing quite a lot of this sort of pick up and play arcade racer like you say there's yeah. just like since the likes of burnout truly burned out we <laughs> haven't had anything really to mm-hmm. go from there uh i mean you get the occasional arcade racer but it's usually an indie hit rather than the fully nearest fledged. is like forza horizon and even that is still very simulation heavy. yeah i mean can, i mean i guess you can list it that as that because it has veered t- towards more of the silly and mm. the like over the top nature like stunt ramps and stuff yeah. i mean i did i guess we did get a disastrous fast and furious game uh, recently <laughs> that had a max player count on the first week of i think 280 people it was I ba- almost bad no don't tell me you enormous I, no i didn't buy it but i almost did because i i'm clamming for any arcade racing stuff don't like they said like buy that don't you've got to go to the game. indie space but i almost bought the fast and the furious game crossroads it's called yeah, i was like well maybe i it. can play something that's arcade based but no like i just yeah if i'm going to shout out arcade stuff um initial drift is the game you want if you're yeah. an old school arcade racer and um, with a little bit of innovation it's initial drift but yeah overall that entire wing of driving games has just gone away i mean the thing is just that like ea <sighs> you can't ever truly praise a publisher for the game that they put out. I know that sounds very strange considering that they have the choice at the end of the day, Mm. but they are basically just casting a net wide and Mm. they've just seemed to have just picked up interest on these there. I don't think this is ever going to repair the image of EA. It will forever be blacklisted for many uh, gamers just (laughs) as a company to avoid because of the shady practices of that always, that approach to situations of, I'm going to try my best to get away with it, and when I'm called on it, that's when I'll stop. It's never a a true apology if you're only apologising for being caught, and that's what EA does in spades. No, totally. And like, honestly, I always refer to it as like the baton of hate. Like, it's sort of like back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah, The start of the 8th gen, it was Ubisoft, and then they sort of passed it to EA for a little bit with the Star Wars stuff then it went to warner brothers for a bit with all the shadow of mordor sorry shadow of war and the mortal Kombat microtransactions and now it's with bethesda um sorry with uh, blizzard sorry a little bit with bethesda with all the um the bugs and glitches and fallout yeah. 76 stuff but right now it's with blizzard and all the overwatch 2 stuff so there's always someone in the spotlight and it tends to be whenever someone's being aimed at the rest of them scuttle away and do their yeah, own little yeah, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. um in this case though i feel like um need for speed has needed something because the, the last need for speed was a complete misfire like 2018 it was, it was really bad um, i actually went yeah. over to play it uh, with the devs and even then when we were talking it was just a case mm-hmm. of like I I don't like this game I'm really sorry like I think that mm-hmm. there's elements of this that are that are commendable and I like the open world approach that you're going mm-hmm. with but there mm-hmm. was just no soul to it whatsoever so I'm really so that, hoping that the new one has a bit more edge to it well that's what's crazy is there's been two games since then like they did they rebooted it yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think oh, you're, the blimey. one you're referring to, I think, is Need for Speed Payback, which is yeah, when that's they tried one. to do yeah, like yeah. a burnout style thing. Yeah. And then um, there's been, there was the reboot where they just called it Need for Speed again and they tried to make it all live action and there was cutscenes and actors. Oh, oh and I do remember that. That was horrendous. That was horrendous. Yes. 
And then there was, um, oh, whatever the hell the last one was, which I'm blanking on. But it was, again, there was another one. And then now... That just shows you how impactful it was. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's just like that whole thing. And so they try to do another one. But the thing is, they re- remastered um, the Hot Pursuit games, which I used to always yeah. love. And so I, I bought that again. Um, and they're really solid. I think they're such a good reminder of like Need for Speed almost needs that adversarial thing between the racers yeah. and the cops and, and play that off. Um, and so, yeah, in this one, in the Unbound trailer, you've got, it's Criterion working on it, which is already a massive which is fantastic. Um, boost because it's the burnout guys. Yep. Um, and yeah, you're bringing the cops back in, but it's all Spider-Verse style. Or it looks like Intergalactic, the new Netflix yeah. show, um, which I think looks great. Um, but yeah, hopefully they finally just find out or remember what Need for Speed is and yep. go down that route again. Because um, I think it looks incredibly promising. But yeah, I did think watching the trailer um, that I can't believe EA is doing this. It felt like, you know, they're so safe for the most part. Yeah, I mean, is it a risk though? I guess, I guess mm. it is a risk once you've uh, rebooted a franchise and it's failed and you've gone back to the well to go for it again. But I think some people are just going to call it a cartoon style and then just that's it. They're just not going to engage with it. Yeah, that, that it does risk alienating people because of the fact it doesn't seem... It's so hard to please petrol heads though, isn't it? The people who actually <laughs> like love these games because if it's a simulation, it has to be down to the nuts and bolts. It has mm. to be accurate. If it's an arcade racer, how do you balance it so it actually feels fun and not just completely wacky mm. and over the top? And if you are going wacky and over the top, how do you make it so that it still is entertaining to actually to grip you through to play through to the end? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a, they're a tough genre to go into, I reckon. Um, Plus that whole, you know, across the 2000s, that whole wing of Need for Speed games came out of the Fast and, Fu- Fast and the Furious, mm, the original mm. movie, um, and was like very much gearing itself towards that. All the um, Need for Speed Underground stuff was just like ostensibly the game tie yeah. into the Fast and the Furious movies, which that whole scene has completely moved away. It's not in the cultural, you know, it's not a big t- uh, touchstone anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, the likes of Wild Hearts, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for that. I have, um, yeah. I was, I was interested uh, because uh, obviously there's a lot to, there's a lot of memories a lot of nostalgia that comes with that um Mm. but i didn't ever get on board when it was um Wait, am I thinking? Of, am I thinking? Of I was going to say you're thinking arms. of maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, thinking of the wild new Wild Hearts thing is like I looked at that trailer and it was like, um, it's like it's old school sort of feudal Japan or Edo period Japan, mm. but it's like Fortnite building mechanics with Monster Hunter style quest design. And I was like, I can just see a business meeting where they just kind of hold things in each hand and then just mesh their fingers and just <laughs> smile as an arrow goes up on a on a business chart behind them. And the Venn diagrams like, colliding as they're yeah, just literally, laughing. it's just sort of put your hands together, and I'm just like, oh, like. I, I, I'm a sucker for old school Japanese stuff. I'm literally learning Japanese right now, but I do not care about you just taking bankable ideas from other things and going like, what if Ghost of Tsushima meets Fortnite meets Monster Hunter? That yeah. should sell, right? Yeah. Like That didn't work for me. I, I'm just from your description of this, I've not seen the trailer for this one, actually. I mean, to be <laughs> fair, it sounds interesting enough because you are containing mm. a lot of elements that are very popular, but am I that emotionally invested? Clearly not. I haven't looked, sought out the trailer <laughs> for it. Like. I like the fact that even old school Wild Arms or Wild, uh, yeah, Wild Arms has still got more of a place in yeah, yeah if it was that thing. then i would have i would have been on board <laughs> um next question from cat sandwich who says best little dive bar you've been to and the best concert you've ever been to the best dive bar that i've ever been to would probably be i mean it is absolutely rubbish beyond belief and i'm not even sure if it's still standing <laughs> nowadays right. uh the tower in in torquay um mm-hmm. it was just a place that me and my friends used to go while we were at school and uh, mm. like it was like we I'm not going to try to, I won't admit to underage drinking, but if you were looking to get a pint, that's where you'd go because they'd never ID. And Uh the atmosphere there was just, imagine your form room, but just translated over there. There was never any locals in there. (laughs) It was literally just the school kids. And there was a big pool table there, grotty music. All your friends' bands would play to the group of like five or 10 people. And that Uh was it. It was a great night. 
That's a that's a lush. I was just, I'm not thinking of that many. When I think of dive bars, I think of like places I'm in to get a few drinks, but it doesn't look very good. Yeah, and or it doesn't feel good. There's not that many that I've stayed in. Like in terms of like like a couple of hours in a place, I'm always like, oh, this is bad. The floor's sticky. Yeah. I'm gonna leave. Um, well, that's just rise, isn't it? That's just every exactly. Yeah, and I'm just thinking like Newcastle places. There was a place called um, uh, Basement, aptly named, um, which I think has been finally been refurbished in Newcastle. And um, but we used to go there every week uh, for student times and even a few years after that. And yeah, the floor was just always sticky. But they were always like that's just a feat that's not a burger it's a feature and that's just part of the thing and um, i did want to use this question to shout out um the front street tap house i'm just shouting that place out. oh it's nice in the northeast. Okay. it's uh near where i live i think we've been there when you came to mind i think so yeah. and uh yeah just want to shout that place out because it's a nice little bar and uh, or a nice little uh drinking house a tap mm. house you might mm. say um in terms of best concerts though um do you have anything that comes to mind for your best gig ever best gig ever i mean i could rattle off times where i've just stood there and been like wow this is amazing mm. like i went to a gig with james dowds when i uh, saw the twilight sad and they nice. were just so incredibly powerful that it was just mm. like even james who is like a music aficionado he turned around and just said i do not understand how they sound <laughs> this good live oh cool. i said to him i don't I either i have no idea it's magic mm-hmm. my friend but <laughs> in terms of a formative gig that i would say really put me on the track to sort of heavy metal emo screamo that sort Mm. of like phase of my life um it would have been the taste of chaos tour that came to cardiff that had reggie and the full effect were the first Mm. band then it was the used kill switch engage were on there Uh and who else was headlining funeral for a friend i want to say was also on that one and there might be three the musical there might have been one more band on there that I cannot remember who it was, but either mm. way, it was a very fun gig. And it was the first time that I'd left my hometown to go see a gig. So we went to oh, Cardiff. Nice. We drove there with my friends. We had all of like the emo clothes on, you know, the tight fitted uh, black <laughs> tops. I had the bolt boot cut jeans that were there. Yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was a time to be alive. <laughs> I had my big fringe. Yes, I had hair uh, like down on one side. And it was just, I think I had, I think I had eyeliner on as well. I think Do I went full. Do you have from this period? Uh, uh, there may be some floating around. And I know, oh. I know for a fact that I had one of those classic checkerboard um, belts oh, that nice. also had the matching checkerboard glove. <laughs> one glove, just the one. And uh, obviously we- black nails as well. Yeah, me and my girlfriend at the time, we used to have like the checkerboard. They were like finger rings, like these sort of like material oh, finger rings that you could wear. And uh, oh my God, yeah, that was, uh, that was a time. <laughs> now, my favorite gig of all time is always seeing the big four at Sonosphere, um, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer. Yeah. But I've mentioned them before. I think we've talked about music before where I've mentioned that. So I'm just going to do a very quick shout out to uh, one of the sweatiest gigs I ever went to, which was um, seeing Bring Me the Horizon on the Sempaternal tour at oh, um, the university. So good. Sempaternal oh my God. is such I, a good album. I, I went with me and my uni friends when um, when they came to Newcastle and they played at the university but it was in the university's basement so it nice. was just like underneath the uni and the stage was at the end of the room but they weren't above us necessarily it was just slightly so you could see like Ollie and the rest of the guys down there Amazing. but it was like me and my friends everyone's just rammed in there because Sempaternal was such a massive turning point for yeah. that band um, and everyone's loving like Shadow Moses and everything else and Can You Feel My Heart that gig like we all at the end of it we were, our clothes had become our skin like we were just this sweaty mass of people <laughs> but collectively everyone bellowing every word um, yeah Bring Me is, is way up there and like Bring Me have, have easily become one of my favourite bands uh, next question from Corel Type Shaw who says what features do you think the next generation of consoles should absolutely have what do you think the form factor should be should it be portable better graphics large storage what? 
Now that is a tough one because um, you want to say you want to say all of them. You want to say mm. that portability plus better graphics plus better battery life. Mm. It should basically take the concept of the Switch and turn gaming into a fully portable medium, but have the power of like a uh, like, I don't know what the graphics cards the kids are using today, like a GTX <laughs> seven million thirty ninety. I mean, that's like it should just be a graphics card with a screen on it. That's what it should be. Well, that's the thing. It's like is is this is the Switch model the future or is the Switch a one off? Like I think Nintendo will do another switch they'll do a switch pro or something and mm. um, probably next may in time with the new games but i'd wonder if you know sony go oh do we revise the vita we have a question about the vita further down um but okay. you know it's like do you think that's the future or do we think home console you know home gaming is that a big tv is that a sound system well is that what it is i mean that's what we've been told that it is and i think that mm. you and i both agree that streaming uh, platforms and applications they probably are going to be the way things go forward like game pass will uh, basically take over the world at some if point they get the it, technology right yeah. if they can get the implementation and they can mm. put it onto other consoles and like you say start partitioning off games and say this first party title is available on playstation but only mm. if you use game pass then mm. i really think that microsoft will be able to make a big play uh for the gaming market as a whole in a way that they've not been able to do so since mm. basically creating gaming pcs in the first <laughs> place um mm-hmm. so it's it is a tough one to imagine what the next uh, generation of consoles is going to be I don't. I I remember before on the podcast that I said that I thought the motion uh, controls mm. and VR was going to be a way forward. But now I'm starting to doubt that because mm. even though I can see that Sony are pushing forward with their PSVR two, it definitely doesn't seem like it's the focus of the PlayStation Five. It just seems like it's always going no. to be the addendum to their manual that they are putting out. So I feel like maybe no company is ever going to give it the love and care that it deserves and build an entire system that is based solely around it. I just That's don't thing. see it happening. No, I think VR is almost destined to be a niche thing because it's mm. just it's so hard to market because you need to actually try it to get it, to feel yeah. why it's worthwhile. And it's cost prohibitive. It's, it's yes. so expensive. It's almost like a whole other console price just to yeah. sort of like you know play a bunch of games that are exclusive to VR. And it's not that VR stuff isn't fun. I love the VR version of Resident Evil 4. But I, I, yeah, I think that's like a, it's destined to always be an accessory rather than an entire platform. But you don't build your game library around the VR games no. that have come out. You always just go, cool, I can do this as well. Yeah, it's like it has like a VR mode to it or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, mm-hmm. I never feel that like comfortable or safe in VR. I always feel like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, locking the world out and I don't like it. Like it feels like, it's like you know, it, it's a fast track towards ready player one or some sort of you know dystopic future dystopian future where um we all just put our headsets on when we go when we leave work or that's just what we do at home and we never leave the bed and like whatever yeah i don't want that and that somebody somebody could just be messing with you as soon as you put the headset on which which (laughs) likely happens when you've got friends around like moving you closer to walls so you end up punching through them or something a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I just remember when I got my PSVR, I was like, I played like Terrace Effect, one of the first things I played, which is a great game on PSVR. But I was just, I was sat on the couch, my wife was on the other couch, and I've got the headset on. And I was like, I must just look so stupid. I'm just like yeah. sat there with this like bike helmet on, and my wife's just over there sort of uh, reading comics or whatever, and she's just like, just shaking her head, I imagine. And because, because you've uh, got like the big headphones like... on as well, you are completely locked into that yeah. experience. And like, it's great, because like you say, when you're playing through Resident Evil games, for example, and the horror mm. elements really are amped up by it being mm-hmm. in your face. But it's just that disconnection of reality where you're so not aware of your surroundings at that point um, mm-hmm. that it's like super hot is great. Jarring. I like, like, like the, there are some things that work really well. But yeah, in terms of like the future of consoles, I remember uh, Yves Guillemot from Ubisoft said that he thinks this is the last generation of consoles, which oh, is really? interesting um, because it's like how far do you take it? I, I kind of um, compare it to other mediums. Like it's not like we were looking for the next innovation in books after the printing press That's was locked down. It's not like we need more. Like you know, film has become like better. You know, frame rates in HD and everything better resolution but when the hobbit tried to do 54 frames a second rather than 30 it didn't feel right and it was like oh okay we're back to like what a film resolution is so for me it's about establishing that platform for like you know maybe you eliminate load times altogether um you do whatever fits the creation side of it and then maybe that's it you polish the gem rather than try and reinvent Mm. the wheel i think that Mm -hmm. that's a very good shout and i think that maybe the next generation that we see will just be like you say uh Mm. huge storage systems faster loading times and connectivity in with devices that is uh, unparalleled that's probably the best way to move forward as the industry to take what you know but do it better yeah storage is definitely one of the big ones because even on the ps5 or the the series x you are filling that thing if you install like eight games or whatever it is it is quite that many it is quite funny isn't it how we were Mm. all just saying like oh well the move to digital is going to save so much time (laughs) like it's instantaneous it's going to improve the loading speed but the Mm. amount of space that it takes up there is actually almost a callback for disc or some sort of like physical media format which allows you to instantaneously load like you look at the the Nintendo Switch and the fact that it's all fitting these games onto those tiny cartridges and they load it almost immediately. It, yeah. I don't know how they've done the architecture. It just it works so much better. And I know that the architecture is lesser than the other main consoles on the market, mm. but it's still mightily impressive. Well, it makes you wonder about like because I've read a piece on how disc tech has come so far. Like we don't think of discs as a thing anymore. We don't like I know in terms of like oh my god, what a CD-ROM used to be. Yeah, and then obviously like you know game game discs 
and everything else, and like eighty percent of all sales are digital. But game, uh, sorry, storage on a CD uh, has has come on along massively. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I mean, my mind go like, I wonder if at some point you'll just get Sony releasing like a month's worth of games or a week's worth of games on a disc, and you pick that up instead, and then you. Have, what, you like, mean like the old demo solution. discs? <laughs> a little bit, yeah, but like with full games on, yeah. and you sort, you know, that's their way of doing like a game of the year version, or maybe like a publisher collection, like a Devolver collection or something. Like they did with the orange box back in the day. With yeah, Valve. totally. Yeah. And it's like they're all on there, and then you have like a hybrid solution to storage and loading because you you've got like a physical or a disc storage solution mm. and that sort of you put that in the console or whatever it is um but at the same time i mean the ps5 they're moving towards a portable disc drive next year so it's like that's a whole thing but yeah i think the solution will be somewhere in the middle but for me storage is one of the biggest factors like i i hate the push towards constant graphical improvement um at the expense of like physics modeling and character renders yeah. you know uh, game mechanics and everything else if it's just how immaculate do these earlobes look? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, but, it, it uh, means it means nothing unless you're uh, in the photo mode for the game 24-7. Mm. And let's face it, there are very, very few of us that are like that. It's mm-hmm. very funny because I remember speaking to somebody, uh, it was like a dev, about why so many games have photo modes. And it's the devs themselves admitted that they just like looking at the work that they've spent hundreds of hours yeah, creating. Yeah, and yeah. I totally understand that. But mm. there's only going to be a select few and likely it's going to be comprised of those game devs or devs or others <laughs> like them that are actually going to sit there and look at every fine detail that has been uh, programmed into those singular shots. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. I love photo modes. And I, I do spend so long in them. But like, I think it's just like, it depends how much it's conducive to the overall feel of the game. Like Red Dead Redemption 2 benefits from it, even though I'm not putting the sun behind, like I said, Arthur Morgan's ears to see what color yeah, they go or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it contributes to the feel of that game. But at the same time, I don't need every other dev wasting so much time rendering every part of that if your actual focus is on combat mechanics or yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, next question from Nate the Gamer who says, UBP for life, Thanks. is it more difficult to write a review about a good game or a bad game? Um, infinitely harder to write a review about a game that does neither. Uh, an average I was ga- going to say exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. Average games <laughs> are the hardest thing to write about because what do you... It, feels, boring like you, thing to write it feels like you take a deep breath, approach this the platform in front of hundreds of people and you just go... Uh, yeah (laughs) it's a thing it's a thing because it feels like it's a waste of your time almost to balance Mm. out the good and the bad when the end result is so nothing that it's just like no one's going to buy this game based on the recommendation (laughs) because how can you recommend something that has equal points of detraction so I remember when uh, I reviewed ages ago when we were we didn't have the YouTube channel we just had the website and I was like you know years ago trying to get into the industry kind of thing like trying to get what culture's name into the industry trying to review stuff and uh, we got the offer of a review of Yokai Watch which is like a it's like a Pokemon oh, style yeah, yeah, thing, this. yeah, yeah, and uh, and so they sent Yokai Watch over, and I was new to the whole IP, and it's not that it wasn't a solid enough game, but it just was so beat for beat exactly what yeah. it was trying to be that writing that review, I'm pretty sure it's still on the site. Um, was just such a like weird slog where it was like, well, all the reference points I have are done by done better by the competition, yeah. and I can still analyze what is here, but it is so formulaic and by the numbers and quite yeah. boring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like if something's down the middle, then like, it's like the Saints Row review. Yeah. Um, that game is so by the numbers and so expected that there's just it's so it's remarkable how unremarkable it is. It's <laughs> yeah. One of them, yeah. and you it's just like, sort of what go can like. You say? Yeah, it's like, you know, they designed a bunch of checkboxes and then they ticked those boxes and it's just like, okay, cool. Like, at least like an absolute tire fire gives you more to talk about. Yeah, or a phenomenal yeah. movie, a game or movie gives you a lot to talk about. Well, they, there's a thing that they say um, when I was doing my creative writing course for uni, they said that it's hard to write light and it's just, mm. it is quite a challenge to write uh, positively. But if you get yourself into the mindset of actively looking to big up games and praise them for what they do, it mm-hmm. comes 
it's easier the more you stick with it. It's yeah. so easy to tear something down in retrospect. Like if a game is bad and it's catastrophically bad, it's almost like you can hear the reviewers rubbing their hands together with glee because <laughs> like there's, you just you go, right, which point do I want to take apart first? Yeah, and yeah. there's so much... Like there, there's a different type type of tone writing negatively about something where you can mm. just lay into something and all the best jokes hit about it because it's comparing mm. something to how bad something else is. You push in satire, you push in like political style, you put you put every mm. single bit in there and it mm. works because you can just tear something to pieces. But it's harder to do that to praise something because mm. you're then going for from personal experiences that seem lesser as a result. So you got to definitely... uh, yeah. So I like a mix of those things. I definitely agree with you in terms of like, it can be fun to rant about a game. It can be fun to, like you said, all the things you said about being negative about something. Um, as long as your like intent isn't like too mean spirited, but it, like you yeah. said, it can be very fun. Um, in terms of the good stuff, um, the God of War review from 2018 is one of the ones that I'm the most proud of. And that thing is almost relentless praise. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we just did the, we, we're recording this straight after doing the video on the Mario movie trailer yeah. reaction yeah. and the theory stuff. We were pretty effusive across that too, like in our praise and everything. And I think it is fun. Like I'm always, my overall maxim for reviewing stuff is like, what does it feel like they were going for and what does it feel like they nailed and if they absolutely nailed that what feels like that template then i love getting super passionate about something too yeah um this generation's been quite threadbare in that regard but yeah i I would say um, the difference between writing positively and negatively is that uh writing cynically is an insular experience because Mm. it's basically taking something that somebody else has done and critiquing it uh where you are putting nothing on the line but you are Mm. pointing a finger at somebody else's work to go out there and speak positively on a game is you exposing yourself for your passions your things that you like why you Mm. are emotionally satisfied and therefore it can be harder to put yourself on the line because Mm. it's a risk of like for example with your sonic frontiers love if you love that game then there's (laughs) going to be people who turn around and point and say that's rubbish you're rubbish by extension and that can be and that can be it can be harder though to put that onto paper because it's like do i really believe enough in this game or mechanical mm. element to actually put pen to paper and say that I love it because well, that's, 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 that's the thing, a hard if I... thing. Yeah, we've talked about this a few times before. Obviously, it comes up a lot. I, I'm not going to get lost on the subjectivity objectivity thing again. Mm, me and Josh mm, did a mm. whole like 40 minute conversation on that at one point um, over on the the Wind Up podcast. But um, yeah, for Sonic Frontiers, like it's not like there aren't elements that I can identify as being like objectively not that polished. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Sonic love comes in. If I was formally reviewing it or professionally reviewing it, it wouldn't just be I love Sonic, therefore it's a 10 out of 10. It would yeah. have to be more than that. That's always the test of a reviewer. How much does it feel like they've just said I love Thing, therefore Thing is good. Like so there- it's got to be more to it than that so there you go you've highlighted another issue with uh, trying to write light in the sense Mm. that you have to back up your qualifications in a defensive structure whereas tearing something down is much easier because you literally point at the thing and say this (laughs) is why whereas before you've got to kind of like justify why you're where you're coming from Mm. how separate your love for the material away Mm. from the actual material itself and then Mm. review it objectively which I love. I love all that stuff. I mean, Frontiers is going to be hilarious because it comes out a day before God of War. Ragnarok. I know. And right I now, know. I'm more excited about Frontiers than I am God of War, which nice. is, is an internal clash that I have. <laughs> but it's mainly just because I love the idea of an open world, super fast main character and um, with a bunch of snappy combat and unlocks and everything um, versus what should be a PS5 game made for the PlayStation 4, which just annoys me on an internal level. <laughs> but I, uh, I'm curious how those things come together. Um, next question from Gula Lopa, who says, with the Stadia's failure and the mid-Steam Deck, do you think it's even possible for there to be a true fourth console in gaming, or is it just PlayStation, Nintendo, Xbox forever? Well, the fact 
fact that they can't even between the three of them get some of their spin-offs off the ground and stay there it just shows mm. that the market is becoming very very uh, insular now it is so hard to break in and mm. i think that uh, to be honest i think that if you're going to try and get into it now the fact that google couldn't make it work with all of their tech know-how they were barely all of their, trying though yeah I, I, but i feel like I feel like they hit the ground running, but as soon as there was even the slightest bit of pushback, they were like, mm. nah, done, we're done with this project, move on. Which is True. just shows that they're maybe not the right people for the job. Amazon, mm. again, not the right people for the job because they only want the quick turnaround, the quick buck. Like It mm. shows with nearly every single action that they've made, especially their new announcements on Twitch saying that they're taxing the people who are earning higher rates uh, on Twitch even yeah, more yeah. because they realize that Twitch itself isn't as profitable for them right now. So... Mm. Maybe it just takes a different altruistic company to come along with billions of pounds to jump into the market. <laughs> and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. The thing soon. that's interesting is uh, a while ago, it was when Cliff Bozinski was marketing um, that game, which name of the, the arena shooter he tried to put Lawbreakers. out. Lawbreakers. Lawbreakers. And uh, he was talking about, it was in one of the interviews, there's a great Kroby Cat montage of all the cringe things he yeah. said and all the ways that that game yeah. failed in terms of its marketing. But he was saying that everything he's learned over the years, obviously, dude, you know, helped create Gears of War um, and worked on, uh, I think he worked on Unreal Tournament as well. But either yeah. way, he was talking about, you know, most spaces in gaming, there's room for two. And he was like, you know, in fighting games at the time, it was across the 90s, it's Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. And it became, you know, right now it's like Tekken and Mortal Kombat or yep. whatever. And uh, he was like, there's nearly always room for two. Um, Call of Duty and Battlefield or whatever, Sonic and mm-hmm. Mario. Mm-hmm. And it's like that thing where even if you bring that to the console space, even Xbox, as of last week, was saying that the biggest two um, entities in the industry are PlayStation and Nintendo. And they said that they will remain the biggest. So Xbox don't even really care about, you know, competing with them. And PlayStation and Nintendo do have the majority of the market share. Mm-hmm. And so it's that interesting thing of like, if you treat PlayStation and Nintendo as just, they will always be the top two. It's yeah. like, well, what can you offer alongside that? And Stadia thing was like streaming but then no one cared about streaming so it's yeah. it's kind of like in the steam deck is what if you could play the games the switch can't play portably but i know from having to own a steam deck it's not very easy like if unless yeah. you buy it off a steam deck sorry off, off steam um it's not very easy to get all the emulation side of it set up and to get like a full working library um and also the battery life is horrendous on the steam deck it lasts yeah. like three hours yeah which so, is so yeah. bad the mm-hmm. the thing is is that if you're a new uh developer of a video game console looking to enter the market you have to ask yourself those questions. What's your unique selling point? What's your price point going to be? What's Mm. your target demographic uh, or market? And how are you going to attract publishers and developers to appear on your uh, platform Mm -hmm. through exclusivity agreements? And you are going to need a lot of money to take away the big boys from the table now because they are already laced up with the likes of Microsoft. You've already got other people making bids for other publishers now. Uh, Mm. There are even publishers that just stand alone because of the fact that they just don't want to appear on anything less than a certain number of uh, platforms so you Plus, are... like, you know, there's so much money in those names as well i mean like yeah. you know, nintendo playstation xbox yep. game pass whatever they're all household names so if yep. you're trying to bring anyone in on into the fold and they're already signed up with someone else why would they go with you the only way that you could possibly enter it is if you approach it from how nintendo and sony have where you are already in the market technically and then you mm. step away and redefine yourself so for mm. example capcom they are yeah. i would say in recent years outside of a few sort of stumbles with the microtransactions and approach 
approach to sort of monetization of their titles. Mm-hmm. They have been going from hit to hit to hit. Uh, they have some of the strongest IPs going in the form of uh, Street Fighter with uh, Resident Evil with uh, even Monster like Hunter. Monster Hunter, like uh, huge, huge hitters. Yeah. If they stepped away and said, none of our games are appearing on any other platform apart from the new Capcom, <laughs> like, Engage 2 style thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. then, yeah, they might stand a chance because of the fact that they are saying that they're not taking part of the conversation and are exclusively going to be on this one game console. But mm-hmm. to do that is missing out on sales in the hundreds of millions from those others. That would be such a... Others such a play for like how much do you love these brands how much do you love these franchises will you buy a 100 or 200 pound 200 dollar system to keep playing street fighter or keep playing yeah. monster hunter yeah um, and that would be the thing um i thought of um you know thinking of like case studies of consoles that have tried um, do you remember the ouya from a few years ago i like, do um, yeah their, <laughs> their whole thing was what if like an android uh, software firmware whatever was the guts of a little cube usb system and anyone could code for it a and very clever idea in road very nice idea but then when it came to actually saying okay but what what games have you got on it they didn't have anything it's like, like the, oh we're just you know, a tech demo we have nothing yeah exactly and it was like the controller was terrible and the games that you got with it were terrible but a lot of people bought into the idea of that and um, it also made me think of the playdate which finally launched this year which is like a little indie system oh, with yeah. a crank on the side of it um and they managed to get like it's kind of like an like a who's who of indie people yeah. managed to contribute games to that including Lucas Pope from Papers, Please um, and um, Return of the Obra Dinn mm-hmm. but that whole thing was you buy the system and you get a game every two weeks I think it is um, you know and they're all very uniquely controlled and people got Doom working on that thing where the it's crank crazy. controls the minigun so and I was funny. like that's but immediately I was like, that's more fun than any of the little games that I get with the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's kind of just like, what can you offer if you just take it as assumed that, you know, the Titans are going to remain the Titans. All we could do is fight amongst their feet at this stage. It's like yeah. attack, on, attack on Titan kind of thing. Um, but yeah, next question from Jack Asbury, who says, do you think CD Projekt Red can actually deliver on the forward plan that they released this week? Did you see this madness? Yeah, there's a lot of new titles and <laughs> expansions that they've uh, mm-hmm. announced. And I actually do think that they will eventually complete all of that. I don't know if they're mm. going to hit the time frame that they've been talking about because... They reckon it's... that trilogy's coming in, in the six-year period, so it's like one game every two years. Oh, yeah, and that seems like it's quite rushed considering the size and scope of uh, the Witcher series in general. Um, mm. And then you've got another team that's working on the Cyberpunk expansions mm. and uh, possibly a standalone... Cyberpunk sequel, whatever Orion yeah. is. So I feel like there's too much going on um they probably announced it way too soon they probably should have mm. just stuck to one franchise like cyberpunk is hot right now it is oh god yeah. uh, the, the it's the hottest it's ever been and it works a treat now so they should have doubled down and just said hey listen there's more coming and we are hitting was... the road running with this but don't worry which is still being developed that's all they mm. should have said but just... well, i think the oh sorry that's it. They should have just done that. <laughs> I think the reason that they um, did all that stuff was to counterbalance the fact that uh, Marcin Nowinski stepping down as CEO. Mm-hmm. So it was like that because that announcement was just buried by all the people going yeah. like, oh, my God, the new Cyberpunk. Oh, my God, the next Witcher. Because um, I just thought it was like a shareholder price thing where yeah. it was like if they just said Nowinski stepping away. I mean, he's stepping into a different role, but he's not going to be in the a part of CDPR. Um, then their stock price would have dropped. So it was like they immediately got out there and said, don't worry, guys, there's seven yeah. games coming. And this is what we spoke about before with the hype doing all of the teasers and uh, trailers for just the investors it's literally just to keep their pockets lined with m- investor money and <laughs> it makes sense from a business standpoint but that information hitting the public is now now i feel i'm overwhelmed with cd project red titles i feel mm. like uh, my hype for them hasn't actually gone up in the slightest it's no. turned to worry immediately because i think there's too many plates that are spinning mm-hmm 
I think as well, like the amount of time that it'll take to get all this stuff turned around. I think it's a weird move for a company to be like, this is what we're doing for the next 20 years. And I'm like, it's, okay, it's nuts. cool. And how many, I'll, I'll how, many, years old. how many times has roadmaps uh, actually ever worked out for a company? Mm. We've seen like the likes of Bioshock, uh, not Bioshock, uh, Bioware um, with uh, Mass Effect. They announced all of the stuff that was coming out, or Anthem, mm-hmm. I can't remember which one it was, and then it just completely got derailed a couple of months after the fact. So, Both, actually. So this, to me, I do think that they will deliver each of these titles. I just do not think that they will hit the timeframes or if they do, I worry. I mean, can they risk another cyberpunk launch day? They I can't. mean, their stock price went down 75%. So it's that like... That is insane. I feel like that's why Owinski's stepping away because it's like he's weathered the storm. He was the dude doing the apology video. Um, even though, if according to a lot of the reports, it was Adam Badowski whose choice it was to gut mm-hmm. the game and change everything and uh, remix the story and everything. But I feel like Owinski was like, I'm going to keep you know captaining the ship i'll get us through these rough waters and then when things calm he's like the first chance i get i'm gone and so yeah. as soon as the cyberpunk stuff was like edge runners took off the game stable he's like i'm gone like you guys yeah. can take care yeah. of this i'm I'm moving away to save myself <laughs> uh overall though um to wrap this up massive thank you to everybody for sending in their various questions everything's yeah. okay we ain't going nowhere <laughs> but you can grab your ubp mugs actually we didn't even read out the url let me uh let me what you're gonna go for the full www uh forward slash gonna you're gonna, you're... thing is uh now it is over at whatculture-wrestling.creator-spring.com and then you can just go on the mugs the drinkables i think is the category and uh grab yourself a mug it's, that is uh, if you go too that... long too long of a listing that is <laughs> too long <laughs> it was on the, it's like a spin-off of like the what culture wrestling page i was looking for it on our merch page but someday we'll unify those things but yes massive thank you to everybody for sending in their various questions and talking points this has been the ubp the ubp the ubp, the UBP now and forever i've been scott tilford joined by jules gill thank you very much for having me and remember you can check back next thursday to pop your suggestions uh, and your questions in for the next episode because like scott said we are not going anywhere we've got our <laughs> mugs we're here to stay baby Hell- Yes, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.